This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. As always, new content drops Thursday nights. Hope this Halloween weekend is safe and heavy for all. On this week's show, Metal Walt welcomes J.J. Brown, bassist of 90s metal band Fight, Rob Helford's first project outside of Judas Priest in the early 90s. J.J. and Walt are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the iconic War of Words album. J.J. talks about his thriving career as a tattoo artist, painter, and the return of his band Sill. The guys discuss the origins of Fight, the recording of two killer albums, and the tour that took a 20-year-old around the globe with his metal hero, the Metal God. J.J. shares stories on how he did tattoos for Halford and the Pantera guys, how he designed guitars for Kerry King of Slayer. In addition, he talks about the ongoing rehearsals for his band Sill reunion concert that's happening this weekend, Halloween weekend, down in Arizona. All exciting stuff. But before we get to that, if you're new to the show, either by discovering us on our YouTube channel or through Pantheon Podcast Music Group, we invite you to visit MetalMayhemROC.com. Join our community by signing up for our email list. This is our way to stay in touch with you about our live radio show on Monday nights, new podcast episodes, new YouTube videos we do. We're dropping content all the time. Have it be CD reviews or concert reviews. So again, that's MetalMayhemROC.com. We have an archive drop-down box. Last week, we had Sirith Ungle talking about their new album. Two weeks ago, a review of the Power Trip concert from a guy that was there. Uh, let's see. We had Rick Emmett recently of Triumph, Tommy Victor of Prong, Udo Dirkschneider. You get the idea. So again, that's MetalMayhemROC.com. Visit our YouTube channel on YouTube. Tons of videos there that you don't find on the podcast location. In any case, do us a favor. Subscribe to all these. Leave a review if you can. And uh, if we get some, we'll read them on the air. 
So let's get into this. Metal Walt, J.J. Brown a fight. War of Words, 30 years later. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. On tonight's episode, I'm joined by J.J. Brown, bassist of the 1990s metal band Fight, which of course featured legendary frontman, the metal goblin himself, Rob Alford. So J.J. joins us today because we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the War of Words album, which is a killer one. But we also want to hear from him about what's going on in 2023. He's a thriving tattoo artist. He's a thriving painter. And he's got the reunion of one of his bands, Sill. So... JJ, welcome to Metal Mayhem of ROC. Thanks, Walt. How you doing, sir? I am good, man. So um, we're going to go back in history. We're going to talk a lot about the fight days, of course, but we want to talk about, like, you know, what what have you been doing since those fight days? So talk a little bit about the band. Do you have an upcoming show, uh, a reunion show? Is it down in Arizona? I see. Uh, yeah, that's SIL. It's uh, Satanic Industries Limited. It was a band that I had around the same time as Fight. You know, we, we released a couple CDs and uh, we hadn't played together since probably early 2000. And, uh, you know, I was going through some video stuff and digitizing it because I have a whole box of videos and stuff. And I sent some stuff to them and they're like, yeah, we should do a reunion show. And I was like, I mean, if you're all up for it, yeah, let's do it. Who's all in the band? And uh, what I think is kind of cool, you got this show coming up down in uh, a venue in Mesa, Arizona, and it's a bring-your-own-beer venue? Like, talk about that, man. Uh, it's our buddy's Mike's place. It's it's like a rehearsal room, but it's set up really cool. Uh, it, it, it looks like something like Rob Zombie would design, the, the interior of the place. You know, it's got a really cool vibe, and we just thought, you know, we wanted to do something a little bit smaller, more personal. So we really haven't even uh, we haven't even really like promoted the show. It's 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 more of a word of mouth, smaller deal because it's a smaller place, and it's just something for us to get together and jam again, you know, because it's been over twenty five years. I mean, for for those that don't know the the kind of music, like describe uh, what kind of music is it? It's like metal metal music with you know some samples in it, a little bit of keys. Uh, my guitar player, uh, Kristen, he's been in, uh, like gray days. He's in gray days. Uh, he was in, uh, he's, he was in a bunch of other bands too. And then he's also in, uh, pack six, six, six with me also rich, the drummer. He's in a bunch of different bands and goody. The other guitarist is mostly known for, uh, his, his sound engineering. He's been out with hate breed and hell. Yeah. A whole whole slew of people running south for them. And he said he'd never even pick up his guitar again to do do music. So I was really surprised when when he said that he was up for it. I figured out ah, what the hell. I guess I could do it too. We just had our second rehearsal and it's not not bad for that long long of a time. Well that's uh that's pretty awesome. So yeah, so because your roots I think maybe were in Arizona, but you you live up in an Ohio, I see it. Is that where you are? Yeah. Flying down to do gig rehearsals, man. That's impressive. You got to do what you love. You only got one life to live, man, and it's a short one. So if you're going to do something, do it. Well, JJ, best of luck with those shows. We'll uh, look forward to hearing all about them. 
talk a little bit about your uh, your thriving art career, right? So you have a a tattoo shop, correct? Is it called Permanent Skin Artistry? Yep, yep, that's what it's called. My mom started the shop back in two thousand. It was just a piercing shop, and then uh, and then like after my stepdad had passed, I had moved back up here to Ohio to kind of help her out with the shop, and we brought tattooing into it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's just been kind of a growing thing. I've been in and out of it. You know, some, sometimes I walk away from it. I get, I get bored with stuff and I move on just like with my painting. I'll paint for a little while and move on to something else. I'll record stuff for months and I won't record stuff for months, you know, more just go with whatever you feel. A few weeks ago when you and I connected, and we were setting up this discussion. I, I happened to be over, uh, I was on a plane. I was going on a work trip to Europe. Brought the Rob Halford book with me, Biblical. And I hadn't finished it. And then, you know, I was towards the back end of it. And I'm reading it on the plane. And sure enough, there's a part that comes up about um, tattoos. And sure enough, there's a, a, a half a page where he describes the first time he got inked. And come to find out, you did a lot of work for him. Talk about that whole experience of uh, inking up the metal god. Uh, yeah, you know, I moved down to Arizona with with my band Cyanide, you know, back back in the early, like probably around 90. And, uh, and I was working at a shop out there, Artistic Skin Design. Well, it just happened that that was the shop that Rob was getting all of his work at, you know, living in Phoenix. And he happened to see my portfolio, dug my work, and, you know, I, I became his regular tattooist, you know, and he, he brought in Sebastian Bach. He brought in the Pantera guys. I tattooed all of them. Kerry King was with them. And then when, when Kerry decided to get some work, he came to me. Uh, we did a bunch of work on his head. We did that tribal down his arm. Uh, the God Hates Us All. I did him and Aisha's wedding bands, you know, and that, then I ended up designing all his guitars for him and then uh designed some slayer shirts uh they even made a black light poster out of one of my designs was rob was like this the first time he got inked like in on his chest or his legs or like had you guys already been in the band together or was this even before oh, no. fight was put together yeah this was before fight was put together wow so you got introduced to him because of course he lives down in arizona or he has a place down there right yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rob's been down there for quite a while. He, he he loves it down in Arizona. About these Slayer guitars, because um, you, you feature some great images on your Facebook page of uh, the work you've done on Kerry King's guitar, and you've also done some, some you know, some work on them. So talk about uh, the work you've done on this. Are these guitars that were, let's say, used on stage, or are these, like, more for his personal collection? Uh, no, that's the BC Rich line, the the signature series. It is. They they sell those. Um, they've been selling those for, geez, probably over ten years or so. Yeah, those those are those are cool. You know, I was surprised when he when he, you know, decided to leave BC Rich and go to Dean. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna miss. Uh, I'm gonna miss him him using those. Yeah. And and how does that work? I mean, being an artist, like, does somebody like Kerry come to you and say, hey, JJ, you know what? You do great work 
on tattoo work and I see that you're a painter and I got this line of guitars and I'd like you to, I got this image in my head or a vision of what I want, or does he just kind of give you free reign to say, you know what, have a go at it? Uh, no, we talk about stuff, you know, and I'll send him rough drafts and, you know, and we'll go back and forth. You know, I mean, we've been friends since, since we met, you know, back early when I was tattooing the Pantera guys and, and, you know, me and Carrie would go hang out at TGI, TGI Fridays, you know, and, and drink at the bar there in Phoenix when he lived out there. Cause he was out there for quite a while too. That's when, uh... when I lived out there. I'm just curious. I'm thinking about this. I was uh, when when Sabbath did their reunion tour. They played uh, the Bank One Ballpark in Phoenix, Arizona. I think it was New Year's Eve, '98 or '99. I, I flew down from Jersey for that show, and that was great because you had that was the first time Sabbath had hit the soil again with Bill Ward, and you had Pantera and Slayer, and I think it was Soulfly and Megadeth opening that show. So, uh, oh God. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe that's you were at that show, or but that was that was a killer one that night. Oh, I could only imagine. That's that's a killer lineup there. Yeah, it was like uh, flying from Jersey through Chicago in the snow and the cold, and down to Arizona for New Year's Eve, and having pina coladas down in Mesa or wherever it was, the University of Arizona College town, and going to a show, and then flying back to the cold. But um, JJ, I, I see that you've done some other work too, and I, I uh, observed that. Anthony Esposito must be another one of your friends or clients. Uh, Anthony is probably most well-known for his time with Lynch Mob. But you've done some artwork for him, but it's also tied into some of the work you've done on his skin. So talk a little bit about that artwork. Uh, I met Anthony when he lived down in Phoenix, too. Uh, And we've been friends since then. I did a, a bunch of tarot cards on him that were Salvador Dali tarot cards. And uh, and then he asked me to do with those three paintings right there for his house. And uh, yeah, I was excited to do that, you know, especially to do some Salvador Dali stuff. And to do stuff that I tattooed on him over 20 years ago, too, was cool, you know? Okay, that's pretty awesome. And, and I got to say, well, maybe it's a question because, you know, you are a tattoo artist. You're doing these awesome paintings like, how do you work it in? Is it, you know, like when you come home at night after you're doing your tattoo day, you just get behind the, the canvas and, and you start painting away? Because I'm not going to lie, man, when you, when you put the picture out there of the four guys in Kiss, I mean, that thing is, it's fucking awesome, man. I'm not going to lie. Now, do you keep that? Do you sell that? Do you hang it up in your shop? You know, what? like what goes on with these requests? Uh, you know, I just sold that piece and... uh that was really actually like the first piece that I I really sold, uh, and I used I actually used that cash towards uh, me going back and forth down to Phoenix for rehearsal, or I would have kept it because that's that's a, that was a nice painting. Oh, you see the picture of Gene, man, and it's just like the blood coming out. Now was that was that off of a particular, let's say, period of time at Kiss, uh, an inspiration or a particular album, something like that? You know, I I just looked for, for you know, different pictures of the band that I thought went well together. And, uh, you know, definitely I was looking for like earlier, you know, like late 70s stuff. But yeah, I just, I just found pictures that I liked and thought would go well together and just put them together. 
That's pretty awesome. And I, and I see you've also done uh, some really, really cool paintings. There's one of uh, Prince, and uh, I guess you must have done one around the time Pee Wee Herman passed away in the summer where he's kind of, I can't remember if he's holding up a cross or looking up to the heavens, but, uh, you know, where do you take your inspiration? Is it just kind of whatever comes to you at the time? You know, it's crazy because I started that 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 piece before he passed. Wow! And yeah, I was I was really bummed about that. Uh, so that gave me a fire to to finish it though, because like I said, I only do stuff when I'm in the mood. You know, so some some stuff sits like Anthony's stuff sat for a while, just to give me fresh eyes to look at it. You know, give it some time to sit. Because you see other stuff, but you, you're looking at constantly painting it, and you need to walk away from it sometimes to to see what you want to do next. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty great though. Really impressive stuff, man. It's uh, you. nice to see that you know, despite your history for with fight, you know, you got this other budding career, and it's it is tied back into the music scene into metal, and it's you know with the artistry and all the guys you've inked and now painting for. Really, really cool, man. So uh, congratulations on that part of your career. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. 
Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So, um, hey, we wanted to get into uh, talk about the back days of fight. And listen, we all should celebrate it because uh, it was recently the 30th anniversary of the War of War albums. I got to tell you, JJ, I mean, that was a really cool period of time for me because, you know, just coming off of like my first experiences of Judas Priest being a teenager, I didn't really get to, um, you know, see the heyday of of the 80s year. I'm 53 now. So, you know, I only cut my teeth uh, around the time of Ram It Down and then uh, when Painkiller came out. So, you know, it's no secret Rob talks about the experience. I mean, he was, you know, in a sense, like Painkiller was a... um a, a rebound album, I think, that came out of the 80s period where their image was maybe a little bit on a decline after Turbo, and they put together this you know, killer album. Scott Travis is in there. And again, he documents it in his book that he admits, like, in a sense, he probably made his mistake walking away from the band. But I'm just curious, like, how did the whole evolution of the band start? How did you get the call? How did the band get put together? Well... Rob, you know, Rob had talked about wanting to do like just a side project, you know, for Priest, you know, just, just for fun. And, uh, and he had seen my band play and, uh, he liked what me and my guitar player were doing via Brian Tills. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it was, it, it all started out as a side project, but then the, the, from what I remember, the, the priest guys weren't happy about that. And so, you know, a lot of uh, faxes went back and forth, and that's when he ended up having to walk away from priest, which was sad, you know? Wow, so, you, so you're so you thinking that it was really just because he was trying to dabble in maybe doing a little side project to yeah, kind of rub the guys the wrong way? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, because it, it was only supposed to be, you know, just something on the side for fun for him. He had no no desire to leave Priest. Stuff happens and feelings get hurt or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember, I think they were coming off that that uh, horrible incident with the Reno kids, with the kids that committed suicide, and they were going through that court thing. Right. Oh, was yeah, a lot that of, was crazy. Yeah. Right, a lot of tensions probably just around everything, and maybe Rob just wanted to, you know, kind of step away and say, I want to do something and really get aggressive, because I think the... The track Light Comes Out of Black that was, I can't remember, it was featured on a, a movie soundtrack initially. And I think he cut that with the Pantera guys first, which may yes. have been what prompted him to get together his own band, which got you guys involved, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was on the, the Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack. Yeah, that was yeah. a good tune. Yeah. So so how does how does the band come together, right? Because it's you, he brings Scott Travis over. Um, you had Brian Tills, as you say, and then of course there's Russ Parrish, who uh-huh. we know now as Satchel from uh, from uh, from Steel, Steel Panther. Panther, right? Yeah, and it's uh, kind of funny. I've I've run into to Satchel a few times, seeing Steel Panther. They're a great band, but it, it's kind of funny when you bring up and you're like, man, I was a big fan of that fight here. He kind of just chuckles behind the makeup. But how did you guys all get put together? How did it all start? You know, I I don't I'm not sure. You know. 
uh, Rob knew Paul Gilbert, and, and and Russ was living with Paul Gilbert at the time, and uh, and we flew over there and met him, and I think you know he might have sent in something to Rob's management or whatever, or, or maybe Paul mentioned Russ to to Rob, and he just seemed like the right fit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so when actually did you guys um, like form a unit and uh, like talk a little about before we actually get into the album itself? Like, talk about like the whole recording, getting together, writing, and rehearsing. Like, how did how did that whole experience go down? And when did it happen? And where? It, that we got together in Phoenix at at, at a studio in Phoenix. There, uh, I believe it was right off the of Camelback. Uh, like 16th Street, and Rob had brought in, in, in demos that he had made up in his house, and we went. We would go through the tapes and pick out ideas and like run through some stuff. Uh, you know, just all of us there in the studio, just just going through stuff and and figuring out what was working. It's crazy. I just found a box uh, that had been packed away, and and there's uh a lot of that early stuff on some of those tapes. Oh, like actually like uh, rehearsals and demos of uh, the yeah. recordings and thing of that. Wow. Yeah. Found a whole, whole gaggle of crazy tapes. Any, anything, I don't know if you've listened to them, but is there anything on there that maybe uh, was in the form of a song that didn't make it? Because I do know you, there were some oh, demos yeah. that were released and put out as sort of a, a fight remix later on, but is there other stuff on there too? Oh yeah. I got, I got all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, well, how how would you describe this stuff, or what would you say it's uh, like? Well, there's just like a lot of stuff, like uh, you know, where the lyrics are different, you know, uh, different courses, and I mean, there was there's a, a bunch of other songs on there that we didn't even never recorded either. Uh, I don't think Rob has a copy of any of it either, so I was actually thinking about sending some of it to him so we could, you know, check it out. I was just going to say that there's this stuff, uh, it exists on some cassettes or CDs of yours, but you know, of course, you know, you always think it, since it is the 30th anniversary, it would be really right. nice to put a nice anniversary box set together or package. Um, well, Rob's been busy. Let's be honest. He just came off power trip this weekend and, uh, yeah. they announced the, uh, the new album, which will be released in March, Invincible Shield. So, I mean, just, uh, you know, getting off track here a little bit, but are you still in touch with Rob on a regular basis? You know, I see it when they roll through town, but, uh, you know, I I don't talk to them regularly now. Well, you know, JG, I remember those that uh, period well, because the album came out, I guess it was summer or fall of 1993. Let's get into the album, right? Like, you know what? You guys did two albums. You did War of Words and then, you know, came out a year later or so with Small Deadly Space. But I think War of Words is the album that most fans will remember from that era. It was just like the album itself. It was the iconic cover of just, you know, black and white and a bunch of words and, you know, and really, really heavy, aggressive, aggressive material. So let's talk about like the album art. Like, what was this all about? Was this like just a Rob's vision to just go simple? You know, I'm not sure. You know, I don't, I know. When they came up with the logo, you know, they wanted something to look strong. Uh, You know, and when we recorded the album, we recorded it in Amsterdam. The management wanted to get us away from everybody. 
So, you know, we'd just be together working on stuff, you know, recording and not have any distractions. I don't I don't know why they changed like the logo and stuff on the second album. I don't know what the deal with, with that was. You know, I liked the original look myself. Yeah, this was really powerful because it was it was a statement, right? You had the G was almost like a lightning bolt and it. it came down, it was a bold, simple logo. I mean, all the words that were probably in the title track were contained on the album cover, and it just popped. I mean, the merchandise was great, the posters, you know, uh, everything down to the black and and the look of the band. You guys were in, you know, shorts, black shorts, black T-shirts. It was like a no-frills band. And, you know, seeing like you guys up there on stage with Rob, I mean, this is the first time for a lot of people that saw Rob in that setting, right? You know, he's up there. He's like in his like sound check clothes, probably not in his leather gear. Right. Um, right. That and in a smaller setting, you know, and little smaller clubs, a couple thousand. I, I mean, I, I never forget, and and I want to talk to you about getting your impression of the album. But I mean, you know, the album opens with "Into the Pit," but perhaps maybe you know we were all exposed to fight on MTV, and I think you know Headbangers Ball was probably on its way out around then. But "Nailed to the Gun" was played. And I always remember it was never played at the right time. It was not in the beginning when they were still playing the 80s bands. And they always shoved it in at the back end around somewhere around 1.30 a.m. Eastern time because it was, it was still a little too heavy for them. But um, that was like the first introduction of Fight to the Mainstream Audience. And that's a, a fast, heavy track, you know, with the drums kicking in. But then when you go and grab the album, you know, Into the Pit, I mean, it's just that growling sound in the beginning and... And I think if I remember right, JJ, you were the guy that when they came out on stage, you were the guy that went into the motherfucking pits. That was me. Yeah, I, I did all the growly vocals, uh, which, you know, I didn't even know I was going to do. They just kind of threw it on me in the studio like, hey, do this part, do this part, do that part. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, that was that was a cool intro. Always loved coming out to that all, you know, down about three feet high, you know, how I play my bass where where my, my jack is always breaking off on the stage because I, I play it so low. I think my, my tech talked about putting a, a wheel on the bottom of my bass so so it quit quit breaking stuff. Yeah, you're right. You did have you kept that thing really, really low and I I think it was your right hand was always almost like touching the touching the floor. Talk about the video for Nail to the Gun. Like, where was that shot? What was that like? That was shot in downtown Phoenix. Uh, we actually did uh, Nail to the, or uh, Into the Pit. And then I think it was, no, what, or was it Nail to the Gun? I don't know. Two of them we shot back to back. It was one of the the dudes that did was doing Ozzy's videos. And uh, we shot the one the one day and then shot a little crazy the, the next day. And, uh, man, we, we shot all this video footage for for little crazy. And uh, everything got scrapped. Like, it was so crazy. We had all these, like, these actors and actresses and, like, all this crazy shit going on. And, and they just, they dumped all of it. It was, it was so crazy. Well, and that was a, I mean, that was right. Nail to the Gun was the the song that got the band on the map and exposed, but A Little Crazy was like, I guess you could call it a single. It had that kind of 
bluesy, jazzy little guitar to come in. And then, you know, it did get some airplay. It became kind of the single. So I could imagine you're right. It was uh, probably something that they could have built a little bit more of a traditional video, a storyline around. Who knows with all those executive decisions, you know, I just, you, you sit and scratch your head at some of them. Yeah, it was also a weird time, too, at that time. That was like the 80 or 93, 94. The budgets were getting cut and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, a song like, uh, like I'm actually looking at my hard copy CD here. Well, you can't see it here with the black light, but it's still on the original CD. Um, and it was funny. I pulled this one out after a lot of years and must have met you guys somewhere and you signed it. But it's like black, black marker over the black album. So you can't really see much. But um. Yeah, like, you know, then you go into the song Life in Black, and it's like bluesy, like almost Sabbathy bluesy. And that was like a whole nother one where, like, you know, you got these, like, this thrash song and then a fast paced metal song. Now you got like a blues song. But um, talk about Life in Black. Uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you have to say about it? I don't know. I just enjoyed playing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was a good one because it was it did change the pace of the uh, of the material out. Right. Because you had a lot of like heavy, heavy ones with pounding drums. I mean, I think like like a song like a mortal sin or. Yeah, yeah there was a good mixture, you know, it, yeah. it kind of, you know, went up and down. You know, it took you on a ride, you know, where it wasn't all the same stuff through the whole thing, which was nice. You know, you, you had a little bit of groove through there, but, you know, and that it, it built it back up, you know, just like with the show. Yeah, you know, we get you get you pumped into that, slow you down a little bit, and then get you pumped back up and slow you down. Yeah, you're right because you know you're looking at the track order on War Words. You know, you have Life in Black, then it goes into Immortal Sin, which had like the, the drum, the pounding drums in the beginning, and then you had the title track, and that title track kind of had that had a weird vibe to it, a little Arabic or something behind it, and. You know, I just remember Rob going off in the middle of the song. I, I I couldn't even possibly repeat the words he was saying, but he just seemed really pissed off at, I don't know if it was just society or the institution of, of things, but just like he was like trying to make a statement about his view on mankind. And then you had like a song like uh, Laid to Rest, which again, that was a little bit more chilled that had like a little bit more of a laid back vibe and... uh and then a song like For All Eternity, it was almost like, hey, like, you know, bad use of the word ballad, but it was kind of like oh. had a slow song, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely the ballad out of them. Yeah, yeah. And what are, what are your memories about some of these other songs? Because I think like the back end of the album, like Contortion, Kill It, Vicious, like these were the ones, man, like those were heavy, heavy, heavy in your face. I, I do remember you had a big pl a part in singing some of the songs around contortion, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I sing some of the 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 second like line to to Rob singing the yeah. the money sucking greed, all these mouths to feed. Yep, shoot it through the brain, selfish and insane. Yeah, I could I can yeah. I can remember like it was yesterday, JG, seeing you up on stage and you you know, Rob had his head his hand, he was always do this thing and he would put the gun to his head like this and and I I think I remember you saying, Marty, sucking green, let's smoke weed and you would do this big oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And then uh Yeah, people would always throw joints up there that you know. Okay. 
Yeah, that was that was funny. It's yeah, it's it's but it I always say that this is one of those albums that like it definitely has held up over time. We have a Oh yeah. A show on our on our Metal Mayhem platform, we call it the history of heavy metal, where we dissect we take a particular year and we go through all the top twenty five, thirty albums or you know, and this one was like unanimously in the top five of that year because A, the material's strong and you know, B, like the the sound quality and the tone on the album is really it's great. Thirty years later, yeah. What What did you think about the the remaster uh, release of that? Yeah, I uh, I I tend to like to stay with the originals. To be honest, um, you know, it's, it's I hated it. it. Uh, why, why so? Uh, I man, I don't know what the hell they did to it, but I it it didn't even sound like the same album. Like I definitely like the original better. And because it had a, it had a, it was in your face and it had a good strong miss. I mean, you didn't even like, like you could put that CD in your car still today. You didn't need to really crank the volume up. It was loud and in your face right there. That was right. to me a mix you don't have to touch, right? No, yeah, I I agree. Like it was good the way it was. So I don't know why they would go in and mess with it. You know, yeah. Because it, it seemed like it seemed like like they changed stuff like. Some of the vocals were different. It sounded like some of the guitars were different. Like, I mean, it seemed like they messed with all kinds of stuff with it. And then the mix wasn't as good. And what about the release when they when they put the demos out too, right? Then they, they had a release that was the songs from the album, then with additional demos. The the K five, right? Yeah. Yeah. I see. I don't I don't even know if I've listened to that. That one came out, I don't remember exactly when that came out. It kinda I think came out well after the band may have been over already, and it was kind of like those times when, you know, when bands released uh, albums of unreleased material or whatever, like, it was almost like the novelty was gone, and you would right. grab it to put it in your collection, but it didn't uh, yeah. it didn't have the same moment of time when it was in there. But I do remember a song like Jesus Saves, right? I think that was kind of buried on the War Awards album at the end when it faded out. You had to have that thing like where... Two minutes went by and it was blanking, and all of a sudden that one came in at the end. But uh, listen, the the bottom line is the material is strong. So, um, oh yeah. Now talk about getting on the road, right? Because this is where I think the band shined. But it was like you guys did pretty much the whole album, and you, but then you were also playing like a couple of priest uh, deep tracks, and then you were doing some Sabbath materials. Like, how, how did the Sabbath stuff come into the set list? We just thought it'd be a, a cool kind of thing to just kind of throw in there. They were fun to play. Oh, my God. And I think it was a nice, diverse way of breaking away from the traditional priest tracks because, you know, Rob probably wanted to do different material. They didn't want to just do a lot of priest songs and throw in three new ones. It was quite the opposite, right? It was like the, almost the whole album. And then he would go back and you would maybe play, I think it was Bloodstone and uh, Green Metal Ishi and and maybe... Uh, there was one other one that, that you guys were doing, but the Sabbath stuff too. He was toying, I think, at the leather. Hellbent for Leather, right? Um, yeah. Freewheel Burning was another one that was played yeah. live. But the, the Sabbath stuff too, I believe Rob was, he was communicating a lot with Tony Iommi around that period. And I know there was like, this was like almost like at the beginning of the internet, but there was rumors they were actually going to get together and do like a Sabbath album. Because um, he had come off those Costa Mesa shows, right? Yeah, I was just going to talk about those. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because I was out there. Uh, we went out there for that when Rob uh, 
when the when Dio would open up for Ozzy, uh, when Ozzy and Sabbath and Sepultura played out there, so they asked Rob to do the whole Black Sabbath set before they came out and did the reunion. And uh, maybe that's what kind of spurred on the us doing the, the couple Black Sabbath tunes. At that time, was, was Fight already together? I, I can't make the timeline. Were you guys already together yeah. when he got that call? Yeah, we were we were together, uh, but I don't think the album was out yet. You know, I think we were we were working on it, and then uh, we figured, you know, what the heck, we'd go over and watch them do the Sabbath set, which was really cool. The whole band was out there for those two shows. Yeah, yeah, those I have bootleg cassettes of those. Those were, you know, I, I mean, I'd I'm, like to see. I, I know somebody's got some video of that. I'd like to see the video of that. I wouldn't be surprised if there's stuff out there on YouTube for it, but uh, I mean, there's yeah, some good audio stuff because, again, that was another time. I think uh, you know Tony and Geezer. They said, you know what, we we jam out a lot of these songs and the sound checks that we don't get a chance to play live. You know, um, a because when they were obviously with Ozzy, Ozzy couldn't sing them, but Ronnie had a certain tracks that he would do. He would do Iron Man, War Pigs, and the Black Sabbath song, but he didn't go deep into the the archives and uh yeah that was probably another thing that fueled you guys doing those tracks on the road yeah so talk a little bit about the touring of fight uh you guys were out there i mean every little club in america probably did you get overseas in different places like that oh yeah yeah we we did uh we did europe we did japan we did australia we did uh argentina brazil Man, what was uh, what was touring like for you? I mean, was this like your first time playing in like a like a big production tour where you guys were, you know, out on the road for six months straight? Oh yeah, yeah, it was my first time on a on a big tour, Be, going from for playing little clubs and then getting getting the tour bus and and having everybody get your stuff ready. That's definitely a change of scenery, you know. And and being, I think I was what twenty, twenty one at the time. It was it was an exciting time, you know. I was I was a kid. Yeah, I can imagine. It actually, technically it, underage still. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and getting to see the world, you know, I think that was one of my favorite parts. You know, as soon as we get to to the city, I'd throw my shit down, and I would go out and 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 look at the city. You know, everybody else is kicking back, relaxing, and I'm I'm going to the zoo, to to whatever you know. I was running all over the place. They would always ask me, so what's around here? You know, and I'd be like, Oh, you got this, you got that. Now, what was it? Was it, uh, like, did, did Rob ever take any tri- uh, trips out there doing anything fun with you? Like you say, go to the zoo or, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah do hiking went, trips or something. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we went to this, one of the zoos. He went to one of the zoos in Europe, uh, with, with us. And then, uh, we went whitewater rafting down in, uh, down in Australia, bungee jumping. Uh, yeah, you know, he he would get out here and there. When you guys did, I mean, I remember it well because you you started the tour. I was at the first show you did in Long Island in uh, it was November of '93 in, in Huntington, and you came through Jersey. Um, there were some memorable shows. I I know the Jersey show. Sebastian Bach came up and jumped on stage with you guys. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh yeah. Any time we rolled through that area, he would always come up and sing with us. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I remember when his his wife was in labor, and he's up on stage with us, 
you know, and then runs, you know, gets off stage and goes straight to the hospital to, you know, to have his kid, which, which he ended up naming after Rob, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. What, what was, what was, what's his son's name? Uh, I don't know. I know something, something Robert or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or Helford or something weird. But yeah, it, yeah, I, you know, it was crazy that his wife's in labor. Meanwhile, he's up on stage with us, you know, rocking out. Yeah. And then, you know, like you guys had, uh, I mean, you came through headlining on your own. And uh, I thought one of the, the cool shows or the, the legs of the tour when you guys were out there with Anthrax. And I think it was when they maybe had just put out Sound of White Noise or maybe it was the second album. But you did some co-headlining with those guys too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are some fun shows. And he jamming with uh, Johnny Bush or the guys yeah. from Anthrax and Soundchecks. Anything fun there? Uh, you know, just hanging out with those guys. You know, all those guys are really cool. You know, and and I've, I've loved Anthrax, you know, since I was a kid. You know, any, any metal that does. Yeah. An honor just to be out on the road with them, you know, hanging out with them. And what about, um? I was just curious, because again, I only remember seeing you guys in the clubs, but... Did you guys end up, uh, you know, at the time when you did go over, let's say, to different countries, get on bigger bills like festival shows? I know there's a lot of great pictures out there. You sharing some big stages. Were these with, uh, you know, bigger package bills or the typical European festivals? No, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of metal festivals back then. Not like now, you know. Uh, we did do some dates with, with, uh, Metallica uh, in the States you know that was when we were recording the second album and we would just fly out on the weekends and and do the weekend shows with them and then fly back to the studio in Phoenix that was probably the biggest shows we did was with them uh, them Candlebox and Suicidal Tendencies okay how did, the, how did those big crowds go over for you guys good real good you know Got really good response and, and had a good time. Different playing on that big of a stage in front of that many people. I just found some video of that too, you know, playing with uh, Metallica in Las Vegas. I was glad I found it because I, I didn't even know I had it. And, and, and seeing that, it was it was really cool. And just on a, on a personal note, like uh, JJ, like you were saying, hey, this is, you were only 20 years old. You're seeing the world now and playing in this awesome heavy metal band with an icon but how was it for, how was rob stepping into a different environment coming off the big production the airplanes and you know fine catering and that kind of thing because he and i think he was sober by this point in time too so how was how was rob's lifestyle change i mean i'm sure it had to be a a, a pretty big change for him you know to go from priest to us you know and, and going into small clubs, but he said he liked it, you know, uh, having it more personal, you know, and, and people up closer, uh, you know, but I, I imagine that's, that's quite a big change. We, we didn't get a chance to really talk about small deadly space, but you know, the touring cycle ends for war words. What, what happens? Is it just the typical thing? All right, guys, you get two months off, you go home, rest up, and now we're back in the studio. Like, what, how did that whole thing to come together with Small Deadly Space? Got off the road and then 
and then yeah, then we got the studio down at Phoenix, and I think Brian had had already had some ideas, like put together for for a few of those songs, uh, that he had just you know wrote on whatever time he had down. He had, he had been writing those. What was your uh, impressions? Because I mean, I I do like this album a lot. Um, it, 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 in a sense, it's almost even heavier. It gets darker. It's a little trippy in certain times. I mean, then a song like blow out in the radio room was like, wow, that took you in a whole nother direction. Rob was super melodic on this. Like, uh, what were your impressions of these, the songs on this album? Yeah. That, that, that blow out the radio room almost, I don't know, reminds me of like a STP vibe or something yeah. weird. To tell you the truth, like. I was kind of in my own world. Like I was actually working on the SIL stuff. So I, you know, I wasn't real present. You know, I was working on other like, like dark electronic-y stuff too at the time. Yep. Which I think is what spurred Rob on to do like the remixes and whatnot. And even I, I always remember too, the title track, the title track's heavy, but I almost remembered that one. The main riff was very, uh, it, it was almost like Led Zeppelin's The Ocean. It just done in a heavy metal style. Right. Yeah, it was, that That album was definitely like a different, you know, a, a different beast versus the first one. You know, I think they, they mixed it kind of light, but that's neither here nor there. It's still a good album. It is a good. It is a good album. You guys got right back out there the next summer and toured again. I remember seeing you down in Philadelphia at the Trocadero, and that was when I think I got a pick and I met Rob for the first time and that kind of thing. He signed the ticket stub, but ultimately, like the band didn't last, and it was such a shame for the fans like me that really loved the band and loved the albums. Like um, I know Rob moved on, like you mentioned, if he was starting to dabble in with a little electronica, he came out a couple years later with the album uh, with the yeah. band too. Yeah. So what ultimately happened with uh, with fight? You know, I bet he was he was done dealing with me at the time. You know, twenty one, twenty two, a train wreck. I was doing pretty much anything you had put in front of me. Like we were flying from Japan to Australia. They made the mistake of upgrading me to first class the airline. Dude, I kept dang, give me another drink. Dang, give me another drink. I puked all over first class. Like, they're landing the plane. My feet are hanging out of the bathroom. I'm covered in puke. You know, I can't find my passport. Rob's sober. Me being sober now, looking back, there's no way I could have dealt with me. Like, a sober me couldn't have dealt with some kid like that. <laughs> so I'm surprised Rob put up with me as long as he did. I was a, I was a butthole. Well, I'm assuming all you guys were probably in the same age range, probably, right? Like early 20s or so, right? Maybe yeah. except for Scott, except right? Except for so, Scott, yeah. But, you know, it's uh, probably not just you partying, but everybody else too. But, <laughs> well, it's a funny story. At least you're own, owning your responsibility on that flight back. And you can look back oh, at yeah. it and say, what was I thinking? But I did it, and I got to deal with it. And you say you're sorry, and I'm sure you and Robert cool 30 years later, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, you can't, you can't tell somebody to get sober. They get sober when they're ready. You know, yeah. you can't make anybody do anything. He's a lot stronger dude than me. There's no way I, I would have put up with me. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I'm sure there was a lot more to it than just your, uh, 
you know, raising hell in your 20s, but uh, it was the changing times and, and that kind of thing. It ultimately led him back, A, to uh, a solo career. And, I, and again, we talk about the fight material standing up over time. I mean, when he put the album out, uh, Resurrection, and I think it was 2000, and he got back out on tour, I'll never forget it. It was it was Maiden, uh, Queensryche, and, and Halford opening up at Madison Square Garden. The album wasn't even out, and they played a show at the Garden. And, you know, they played, I remember, the first two songs off of Resurrection, but then they did it into the pit and nailed to the gun right after that. So, you know, you know, he was still in that zone of loving that material, even through his uh, next phase of his solo career. Right. So now, um, you know, when when the when the band ends, you know, here we are 30 years later. I mean, it's the obvious question I would ask is, do you still speak to your bandmates? Have you guys ever gotten together and jammed out some of these songs and has there ever been a conversation with Rob to say, hey, maybe we should do a, a string of 20 dates to celebrate this uh, this great music? You know, Rob has talked about, you know, us getting back together. And, you know, and I, I talked to Russ. I talked to Scott. I talked to Brian. Uh, but who who knows, you know, he had so much going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if he, he has time for it, you know, but he's definitely said that. You know, he, he'd been thinking about it, you know, and it's, I guess, you know, it'll happen when, when it's supposed to happen, if it's supposed to happen. Well, it sounds like you're the guy with the keys to all the archive footage and all the good demos and all the live tracks and the soundboard. So, man, you better safe lock that stuff in your basement, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, going through all of it. I'm making copies of it now because I'm surprised it's it's survived this long. With with all my moves and, and and all my partying back then, like I, I'm surprised I have that stuff. Very grateful, you know. And I still, I know I still got another box of videos somewhere, like of of you know in Amsterdam in the studio. I know I got, I know I got videos of that and a bunch of other stuff too. I just gotta find it. Got a lot yeah. of stuff. That's it. Hey, listen, it's. It's the it's the metal enthusiast and the musician. Like I, I'm a collector too. I got bootleg cassettes, posters up all over the wall, autographs everywhere, photos, and it's like you know that's from the stuff back in the day where there weren't phones and everything was a, a printout in boxes. I mean, I unearthed uh, uh, getting set up for the interview to talk to you. I unearthed the photos from um, you know from an in store session that happened in Jersey at that time. And I remember, and it was funny, there was a cassette a link to the in-store, and um, I, I took it out, and I actually was having a conversation with you guys as I was walking the line. It was funny, <laughs> you know? And uh, I said, oh, my God, like, like what actually happened there? You know, I was asking Rob questions about all kinds of stuff, and, you know, Scott Travis comes on, and he did a, a phone recording thing for my... Uh, for my, you know, my my parents' house at that time, you know, and it's awesome to have that forever to say, you know, this is Rob Alford from Flight, and if you're looking for Lance, he's not home right now, so leave a scream for him at the message. Oh, that's well, awesome! Yeah, but JJ, this was a, a great conversation. I highly enjoyed it. I highly enjoyed hearing all about your back history, your current history, your plans with SIL, and your budding career in artistry. And uh, it was great to go back and talk about war words and and fight. So, um, where can uh, where can we find uh, all about your product and in, in your places and your bands? Uh, my Facebook 
is Facebook at Rev J J R E V J A Y J A Y like Reverend J J, and uh, and that's also with Instagram and all that stuff too. And then uh, you know the Satanic Industries Limited, we just released that album on all the streaming sites, so you can finally get that after all these years. Uh, and also, you can check for a link maybe down below, and we might have a Halloween special for you guys. Check out. So, check that also. That's awesome, JJ. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, we welcome you and invite you to check out our YouTube channel where all this great material and conversation um, will be out there. So, again, JJ, best of luck with the shows. Happy Halloween. And we will talk to you again down the line. Keep it heavy. Always. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.